Beyond the Coffee Table, the podcast is brought to you by Beyond the Coffee Table, the book. Yes, it is also a book. So if you are looking to get your daily dose of motivation, your daily dose of encouragement, if you're looking for something to get you over the hump, go ahead and click on the link within the description of this here episode and get your copy of Beyond the Coffee Table, the book. Yep, it's a book and a podcast. Let you the light, the words of my brother Terry, a message for you haters, understand me, you fit. Adversity reveals genius, prosperity conceals it, please believe it. So I'ma spit lyrics up, keep it believing, and I'ma always be me, I keep it a hundred, I mean it. Adversity reveals genius, prosperity conceals it, please believe it. So I'ma spit lyrics up, keep it believing, and I'ma always be me, I keep it a hundred, I mean it. In this episode of Beyond the Coffee Table, the podcast, I have the pleasure of sitting down with Second Lieutenant Henry Edwards III, and we have a conversation about the hard conversations we have to have with our young black kids in America today. Now, I just want to let everybody know ahead of time, this conversation is not a bash on the police. This is not saying that police are bad. We know not all cops are bad, and we even talk about that in this episode. This is also not an episode about defunding the police departments. This is simply an episode about the difficult conversations that black men and women across the country have to have with their black children. So ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, the talk with my black children. The first question I ask every single person when they come on the podcast is the same one I'm going to ask you today. And that question is, who is Henry Edwards? And why does the world need to hear his voice? Man, I love that. So Henry Edwards III, I am many things, man. I think I I start that off with, I'm a Christian, first and foremost, man. Uh, I think that you'll you'll go through a lot of different titles, job titles in life, but Mm -hmm. that's one that won't ever change, right? Um, it's something that you can never perfect, right? Right. always, right. always striving to be a better Christian. Uh, so that's first and foremost, I'm a father, you know, that's another thing that would never change. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, no matter how old my two boys get, I'll always be their dad, I'll always be their father. So right. I'm a Christian, I'm a father. Um, and I guess it goes into everything else, man. I'm in the air force, you know, I, I, um, I'm a mentor, I'm a coach, friend, brother, sister, son, all that stuff too, you know. Uh, why, what I have to offer, man, is positivity, you know. Mm, we need that. Perspective, man. Um, oftentimes, especially in today's world, you, you need to choose to be positive and you need Absolutely. to choose to look at things from a certain lens and not just from your lens. Mm-hmm. You have to be able to look at things from other people's perspective. Absolutely. That, that's, that's what I try to offer to other people. Like, hey, this is how I view things, but how do you view things? And then mm-hmm. let's kind of come together to see a way forward. Right, right. I think that's, that's big to uh, remember is it's not always about our perspective, right. but the perspective sometime of the people around us. Yes. So I, I think that's definitely big. Um, and for you to already have that lens is very important like you said you know being in the united states air force and you're not even you're not just in the united states air force you're a leader 
right. and the United States Air Force. So you affect the change that the younger airmen are looking to see. And for those of you who aren't familiar uh, with Air Force ranks, when I say younger airmen, I'm talking about those, you know, fresh out of college, fresh out of high school who have decided to join the United States military. So if you, if you hear the lingo of, you know, younger airmen or things of that nature, that's what Henry and I are talking about this morning um, or afternoon or evening or night or wherever time is you are listening to this episode. Um, so you are a second lieutenant in the Air Force, but you didn't start there. No, not at all. So tell us about where you started and what made you decide to go ahead and become, you know, uh, an officer in the Air Force. For sure, man. So, yeah, I've actually been in the Air Force for 14 years now, which is crazy to actually say and think about. (laughs) Feels like like I just like finished high school. Right. So I I started uh, in 2006. I joined the Air Force May 2nd, 2006, uh, joined as an E3. Mm-hmm. Um, Airman first class. I had junior ROTC in high school, so I was able to come in as the E three instead of E one. Right. Um, and my dad actually served in the Army for twenty two years, so he actually retired the same year that I joined the Air Force. Wow. And when I decided to join the military, you know, there, he didn't really give me an option. Mm-hmm. Uh, being in the Army, he was like, "If you're going to do this, you're joining the Air Force." Gotcha. So that was the only um, recruiting office I went to. <laughs> You know, um, so I joined as a security forces member, military police, you know, mm-hmm. um, and started there. And my dad's dream for me was always to commission and to okay. become an officer. Um, and for me, it was too, just not as much as him. Right. My main okay. reason for joining the Air Force was to get money for school. Right. So I, I just wanted to get an education. And it basically started from there. I, I ended up deploying to Afghanistan maybe six months after getting to my first duty assignment. And uh, I remember coming back from that deployment and I was looking for mentorship, looking for a way forward and looking into commissioning. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And I remember going and talking to my first chief, uh, chief Drummond. Yeah, man. man. (laughs) (laughs) Admirable, admirable guy. Yeah, absolutely, man. I remember going into his office as a young airman, first class man um, and talking to him about, my options. And I remember him asking me, Henry, why do you want to commission? You know, and as a new 20 year old, I'm like, well, because they get paid more money, you know, <laughs> like, honestly, you know what I mean? Uh, and he looked at me and said, if that's your only reason, think about it. Cause there's, there's opportunities on the enlisted side and there's things that um, you can accomplish on this side as well too. Right. So think about it. If that's your only reason for doing it. So I did, you know, and I kind of, he helped me map out my enlisted career. And I just kind of went from there. You know, uh, I ended up making rank pretty quickly at Mm -hmm. a more above average rate. And I enjoyed my time. I enjoyed the positions that I was put in. I was able to still lead and change lives and impact lives and learn mostly. Um, But commissioning was always the ultimate goal. So for me, through that journey, it was just waiting for the right time for my family and the right Mm -hmm. time for my career. Okay. uh, that, That time finally came. I went through the ranks. I made it all the way up to Master Sergeant E7, you know, and to be honest with you, once I made Master Sergeant, I was kind of thinking like, do I really need the commission now? You know, (laughs) I was kind of rolling in the ranks. Um, But, you know, talking to other people and looking at outside of the Air Force and the the lanes that being an officer will open for you outside of that is when I went ahead and continued that 
So I uh, applied for officer training school for my commission in December of 2018. Okay. Put my package for that and got word back March of 2019 that I got selected. Awesome. Um, and then ended up going to officer training school a few short months later in July. Mm-hmm. Graduated the end of September and, you know, I started my second lieutenant journey, my officer journey uh, at year 13 of being in the Air Force uh, just here this past September. So coming up on a year almost. Awesome. Well, congratulations on Thank that. You. That is certainly, uh, that, that's certainly big. For those of you thinking on the civilian side, like, well, what, what does that equate to? That's like going from high school and shooting all the way up to get your doctorate degree. So for those of you uh, trying to figure out, you know, how does it compare? That's uh, that's how that compares. You're going from being someone who has a voice in the rules to being someone who signs off on what the rules are going to be, uh, just to let y'all know that. So we are here this morning, afternoon, evening, whatever time you're listening to this episode, to talk about the talk with my black kids. And the reason I have the talk and the quotation marks is because when most of us were growing up, when Henry and I were growing up, the talk was about sex. Mm-hmm. Um, and for a lot of families, the talk still is about sex. You know, if you are not um, conscious and aware of what's going on, and I believe black, white, Asian, Spanish, regardless of the color of your skin, I think everybody should be having the talk with their children because as, you know, the people, millennials, as we are raising our kids, when they grow up and they are adults, the whole context of, oh my gosh, I didn't know, is no longer going to be acceptable because we are the parents who are supposed to be raising our children to know and be aware that, you know, just because one skin color is a certain tone or a certain hue or possess, you know, a certain amount of melanin does not make them an automatic threat to you. Um, So when I say the talk, we're not talking about sex in this instance. We're talking about being a black girl or a black boy and what you do when you are stopped by the police, when you see the red, white, and blue appear in your rearview mirror, what you do, or when you're walking and they stop you, or when you're jogging and they stop you, or when you're in the grocery store with a real $20 bill and they, the cashier tries to say that it's fake. Um, what, how that conversation goes with your children. And uh, Henry and I both have young children and it's like our children pay attention you know it's it's in a day and age where they grow up or they're born and it's almost like apple has assigned a device to them they're just waiting for them to come pick it up like you can't hide these things the way our parents might have been able to hide it from us or not necessarily that they were trying to hide it but maybe they were just like they're too young i'm going to shield them for a little while longer and then when, maybe when they come home and ask me about it, or maybe I'll just, you know, tell them about it. Um, so how old are your boys? So my oldest just turned eight last Wednesday. Okay. So he starts third grade here, this coming up school year. And then my youngest is five and a half. He'll be six in December. Okay. So two, two, um, 
children who are under the age of 10. Yes. Um, but I'm sure I have seen and maybe heard some things because kids, kids have a way of finding information that we don't necessarily want them to have found <laughs> um, because they're great listeners when it comes to you know, their advantage. So how do you begin to have a conversation with such young children about the relationship between them and the cops who took an oath to protect them? And before you answer, I do just want to make a disclaimer. I know not all cops are bad. All right. I know that Henry knows that our parents know that everyone knows that, but it's just like all black men are not thugs and a threat. So I just want to put that out there early before we get into this conversation and people begin to think this is a conversation about bashing the police. That is not what this conversation is about. It is about the conversation we have to have with our young children about those police who are amongst the ones who aren't so good for our society. So how do you begin to have that conversation with such young boys about the relationship with them and the police officers who took an oath to protect them? And so it, um, it's actually sad that I have to have the conversations with two boys who are below the age of 10, right? But um, this isn't even the first time that I've had a conversation with them. Uh, so imagine that, right? My son just turned, my oldest just, just turned eight. And this isn't the first time that I've actually had a conversation with him about the relationship between cops and the people they serve. Mm, okay. um, when, when Ferguson happened, what, three years ago, I believe? About two and a half, three years ago? Yeah, about three. Yeah. About three years ago. Um, I remember driving both my kids to school and we were living in Michigan at the time. And I hadn't talked to my kids about what was happening at all. But again, right. as you mentioned, they listen, they pick up on things. Absolutely. So I'm pretty sure I was on the phone with a friend, a family member or something, and we were discussing what was happening in Ferguson. Mm -hmm. So the next day going to school, uh, we turned down the street and my oldest son, Aiden, who was probably five or six at the time, um, there was a cop that had someone pulled over. Don't know if the cop was black or white. Don't know if the person who pulled them over was black or white. Right. Uh, I, there were just lights and he knew that lights means the cop is, is pulling someone. Mm -hmm. Right. His, his response to just seeing that, man, I hope that cop doesn't shoot that guy. At five or six years At old. At five or six years old. And I was taken aback and I was like, what, what, do you, what, do you, what do you mean, dude? And he was like, I just hope that cop doesn't shoot that guy. And I, am I, I'm like, in, in my mind, I'm reviewing every conversation that I've had. I'm like, did, did he pick up on things that I was talking on the phone mm -hmm. about? And that, that's where my mind went to. So my response, you know, was, well, that's not what cops are for. Right. That's, 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 that's not their job. Their job is to protect us, is to help us. Mm -hmm. And his response to me was, well, how do you know? <laughs> uh, so I use my own personal experience being a law enforcement agent mm -hmm. in the military, a security forces member. I do have experience arresting people and right. in the community. So I, I told him that, like, hey, dude, because I am a cop. I am a cop, you know, so I was able to use that experience. Mm -hmm. All right, Terry, I got my little- No, it's all good. Give me a hug. <laughs> Later. <Thank laughs> you. So, so, you know, I, I use my personal experience. I do that. 
I know this because this is what I did when I was a cop. Mm-hmm. Right. So that that's that's where it it starts. And I think another piece to that, I remember growing up, and even nowadays, man, in our communities, you always had moms and dads, just parents, telling their kids, "You keep on acting up, and I'm gonna call the cops on you." Right. And I promise you, I I I can't stand that 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 use of cops because mm-hmm. it automatically puts a certain fear in us. Right. You know what I mean? So I think that narrative has to, has to change. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, so it, it, it starts at a young age, just cops aren't there to just arrest people. Exactly. They're there to help people. Right. You know? um, so from, from, from there, it starts with, Hey, when, when, and if you get pulled over, this is how you act. Right. You know? I don't care if you think you're wrong, right or wrong. This is not the time for you to argue your point. Okay? Exactly. You listen to exactly what they're saying, and then you call mommy or daddy later, and then we will fight that fight for you. There's a time right. and place for everything, you know. Right. So that, that's but it, it it starts with teaching them yes sir, no sir, yes mm-hmm. ma'am, no ma'am, excuse me, and then waiting to be acknowledged. Like when my son just walked down, just just then I put my hand up, you know, and then he knows okay. Stop. You know what I mean? Right. Um, so it, it, it starts with that, which mm-hmm. is the, the basic knowledge of respect of authority um, and knowing when to, um, to argue your point, if you will. You right. know what I mean? But um, there's, there's, there's just a time and place for everything. So that, that to me is where it starts, is having that conversation. Unfortunately, it happens to happen uh, at an early age nowadays. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So... Have either of your boys had questions about what's going on with all the injustice happening around us? Not necessarily. Okay. But um, so when George Floyd happened, I was watching the video on my phone and I was sitting in about the location where I'm sitting at now. My boys were on the couch, which is right in front of me, and they were watching TV. Okay. This was uh, probably right around dinner time or so. And... You know, I was watching George Floyd's life being taken from him mm-hmm. on, my, on my phone. So I'm looking down and, you know, I, I, I know that I'm sad. I probably got some tears in my eyes. And my oldest comes up to me and I didn't even realize that they were paying attention to me or looking at me or anything. And he mm-hmm. walked over to me, he puts his hand on my shoulder. Wow. And he's like, Dad, are you okay? <laughs> I looked up at him I'm like, <laughs> what are you doing here? You know, uh, I was like, no, I'm, I'm actually not okay. Um, but I'll explain it to you later because I was mm-hmm. still, I was probably at like only like seven minutes into it or so. Um, so you know, after we ate and whatnot, uh, after I calmed down because I didn't want to have just an emotional discussion right. about it. You know, I had the the talk with them again. You know, mm-hmm. and this was a more because even though it had been probably an hour or so since I had watched it, it was it's still a emotional thing, right? Right. So I'm feeling myself getting just filled with emotions and anger because I have to explain this to my seven and five-year-old. Right. Like, I don't care what you're doing. Like, you stop, you listen to everything that they're saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, make sure your hands are where they can see. You're moving slowly. Don't put your hands in your pocket. You know, um, so no, they have not asked it because I think they're, they're still too young. They, and they're, they still right. have their innocence. But at the same time, they're aware when something affects me, right? Yes. So my seven-year-old at the time was aware enough that the energy that I was putting off 
right? Mm-hmm. That that's not daddy. That's that's sad. Like, dad, are you okay? Like, yes, I'm not. You know what I mean? So no, they haven't asked it, but they pick up on that type of stuff. As yes. you know, being a dad, you know what I mean? Absolutely. And they, and we can't hide it. And I think the fact that you said no to him uh, speaks volumes for you as a parent. You know, because a lot of times as parents, we think we're supposed to. Everything is supposed to be, you know, okay. And mommy and daddy are always okay. And sometimes yeah. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm not okay. I'll, and I'll tell you later. Like you said, you know, I will talk about it later on. But no, daddy's not okay. So I think that was, I, I commend you for that. Because, you know, growing up, when I was growing up, it was always, yeah, I'm fine. It's just like, okay, you, you don't look fine, but right. maybe you are. Because <laughs> you said that you are. So I think that it's awesome. Um, I too am a firm believer in being honest, right. uh, you know, with our children. Me, I'm, I'm a crier. Like that's just what I do. If something right. is making me cry, I'm going to cry. I'm not going to hold back the tears because they turn to anger and, and my right. uh, opinion. Um, so it's the same, like, you know, a daughter like, daddy, are you okay? And I'm like, no, sweetheart, I'm not, but I will be. You know, mm-hmm. daddy yep. just needs a moment. He needs some time and then regroup. And maybe later on, should she ask, you know, what was wrong earlier? Then I'll share it. But at four, I doubt that she's going to ask that because later it's going to be, you know, whatever we're watching on Disney Plus. Disney, yep. That's not a plug for Disney Plus, by the way. Um, but whatever we're doing is going to be that. Um, so earlier we talked about your service. To, to our country. Um, so you're an active duty service member. And while in uniform, it's thank you for your service. It's sir. It's um, all that good stuff. Uh, but once that uniform comes off and no one knows that you're a part of the military, all they see is a person in front of them, um, the narrative changes a little bit. It's not, let me buy your coffee or anything like that. Sometimes it turns to, let me clutch my purse or let me cross the street or let me pour him over. Um, So how do you cope with comments of racism and how do you address those working under you when they come to you with their concerns on what's going on yeah so this is uh this is a big discussion point i'll just use the air force um because i know for a fact it's big within the air force mm. uh whenever all this whenever george floyd happened is when it really just blew up right right whenever he was murdered um so i think the the biggest thing and this is you, you can use this with any issue or problem right you have to acknowledge the fact that there's a problem. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> and I, if 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 we can't do that, then we have a bigger problem, right? If 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 we can't acknowledge the fact that there's actually an issue, and you don't have to be black to acknowledge the fact that this is a absolutely problem, right. And so I'll use the Air Force again. So the chief of staff of the Air Force, who's the highest ranking officer, a four star general, he's a white man. Okay the chief master sergeant of the air force who is the highest ranking enlisted person in the air force is a black man right they both acknowledge that there is not only an issue in the world but within the air force Mm -hmm. 
to have that acknowledgement from the highest ranking individuals in your organization, right. in your organization to, 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 to know that they see and know that this is a problem, mm-hmm. huge, right? Because as, as people who have leaders in any form, it can be within your family, within an organization, when you have a leader, for them to acknowledge that something so, so precious as life, yes. right? And things that affect your everyday life is an issue is huge. It's like Absolutely. a weight off your shoulder, like, oh, okay. It's okay to talk about this. It makes it okay, right? So for me, being a leader in my position, mid-level, if you want to call it, knowing that my top-level leaders have my back and support, mm-hmm. now I can really, really even right. move forward. I don't have to tiptoe around that, right? And I think that's, that's the biggest thing. And there's, there's some, some people out there who still can't acknowledge the fact that there is an issue. Um, but being able to acknowledge that there's an issue, that's the start. That, and that's, that's just the start. It's not enough, but it is a huge step right. forward, right? So being able to acknowledge that fact. Once you get that, then you can start having the conversations. Absolutely. Right? And that, that, that makes it okay. Um, so you have to acknowledge it, accept it, kind of take the ownership of it, right? And then you can find a way to move forward. It's not just enough to acknowledge it. It's not just enough to have the conversation then you have to start having actual changes, right? Yes. Um, so, the, but those, those are just the beginning of it. Um, you were speaking earlier about the younger airmen. When George Floyd was more murdered, the younger airmen is, is exactly where my mind went to. Mm-hmm. Thinking about when I first joined the Air Force as an 18 year old, fresh out of um, the house, right? I never lived on my own. Yes. Mom and dad aren't there anymore. How are they dealing with this? Because yes. as a 32-year-old man, I'm struggling with this. Mm-hmm. So how is an 18 or 19-year-old or a 22 or 23-year-old out of college dealing with this, especially if they're in a work environment where they already don't relate to their immediate supervisor? People don't always look like you. Mm-hmm. You don't know if it's okay. Even though the highest-ranking leadership in your organization may have acknowledged it, your day-to-day supervision who are in, in charge of your annual reports, mm-hmm. who are in charge of kind of like your time off, you know, they can give you more work, they can get you in trouble and that type of stuff. If those people aren't acknowledging it or you don't feel comfortable talking to them, then that affects your day-to-day life. Absolutely. I mean, so that, that's where my mind went to was to how are they dealing with it? Um, Currently, I don't, I don't supervise a lot of people in my current position. That doesn't mean I don't have influence though. Mm -hmm. I think that's another thing for people to, realize just because you may not have 20 people directly working under you doesn't mean that you don't have influence because everybody's watching, especially as an officer, as a black officer, a black male officer, I'll I'll just tell you right now, in my, my area of responsibility of the base that I work on, I'll say that there are roughly 700 ish people. I am the only black male officer that works among those people. Wow. Okay. So there's no one who looks like me in that area of the base, right? So for me to be the only black male, of course, a lot of people during this situation, of course, are looking to me. Mm-hmm. So just because I don't supervise them directly doesn't mean that they're not watching it, how I right. am being and walking and talking and whatnot. Um, so being aware of that, I use that influence to make it okay for them to speak about what's going on, okay? Mm-hmm. So having that open door policy, get it out and talking to them maybe um, that I, I may have never actually met them, but knowing 
what's going on in the world and knowing how important it would be for me if I was in their shoes. Now I'm stepping out and asking, hey, are you okay? Right. Are you good? How is your supervisor addressing this? You know, are you comfortable with, mm-hmm. with how they're handling things? So that's how I am making sure that uh, everyone is able to cope with it from people who are above me, people who are underneath me. And I've been, I'm blessed to be in a position to where my leaders mm-hmm. talking about like colonels look to me uh, for help and advice and for having the conversation. So I'm, I'm super blessed that I have that influence and I have their ear um, going up and down the chain of command. Right. Right. Cause you certainly have that voice, especially right. when, when they reach down right. for you to reach up and say, Hey, let's partner on this yes. thing so that we can make sure everybody right. uh, yes. is okay. And everybody feels respected and no one feels intimidated right. uh, to come to work or no one feels like, Oh yeah, I'm going in here to serve my country. But at the same time, these people don't care about me when it's like, no, we here care about you we can't speak for everybody or uh, you know other places you might go but know that right here we got you and i think that's one of the most important factors whether you are military whether you're a civilian you know whether you're in between to know that everywhere you put your time in that you're cared for it's like it's almost like going home and no one at home cares about you. You're like, well, I don't want to be, I don't want to be here, but if I'm not here, then I'm sleeping outside and I don't want to do that. You know? So it's like, it's very important, especially since you spend so many waking hours at work, especially in the military, eight hours, 12 hours, you know, depending on the shift you're working, you could be at work 16 hours. And if you're surrounded in that environment for so long and you feel no one cares about you. You're literally there to just punch the clock and then leave. You know, you don't want to be involved in anything else. It's the quote, and I can't recall who is credited with it, but no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Uh, President Theodore Roosevelt. There you go. It's one of my favorite quotes. You know what I mean? And it's, it's so true. Like we don't care. You can come in here and give me your, resume and mm-hmm. your doctorate degree and how many people that you've spoken to and that that's all great if I, how do we connect yes on Absolutely. you know what i mean absolutely so. yes all right so um a, a little bit of a transition now me i know i know this has happened quite a few times with me and even when i'm even not thinking about it you know my insurance is up to date i actually just paid it this morning <laughs> um, my driver's license is good my registration is good but there is this 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 thing in the back of my mind so in my subconscious that every time i drive past a police officer or every time i see one drive past me or i go through the light and they're on the cross street mm. I check my side view in my rear view mirrors. And it's not because, you know, I think, you know, they're going to come after me or anything like that because everything is fine. It's just automatically in my mind to check to see, are they now pulling behind me? And it could be a a dozen other cars on the road. Mm -hmm. I'm just concerned about mine (laughs) at, at that time. So have you ever driven past a member of law enforcement and check your rear view or side view um, when passing? And if so, 
why do you feel that's happened? So yes, for sure. Um, it's a natural thing uh, for, you know, we're not speaking for everybody right, right now, but it, it, to me, it's a natural thing for black males, especially mm -hmm. to do that. Um, whether that is, has been embedded in us um, through society, you know, um, from our parents, uh, it's, it's something that's real, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and it's not just something that we made up. It's something from personal experiences too. You know, I've been, uh, I've, I've never had a ticket in my life. Uh, no speeding ticket, but I have been pulled over okay. before. But uh, thankfully it's never ended in a actual ticket. Or anything like that but um you know I, I have a couple different experiences with the police where i've been pulled over um actually going to one of my trainings in san antonio when i was driving and uh being a member of the military you live in different states right right so with that you register your car in different states uh so long story short on this one i was i had just gotten through el paso texas driving to san antonio and there's a big gap of cities once you pass El Paso until you get to San Antonio travel mm -hmm. on that highway and yes I was definitely speeding for sure you know and got pulled over what I do personally when I get pulled over all my windows come down yes, you know? yes. Uh, <laughs> all my windows come down the stereo goes off completely I don't reach for anything until they come up right and that, that's that's just what I do um, so he comes up, you know, he tells me I was speeding this and that, you know, he asked for my license and registration and I tell him I'm reaching here. This is where everything mm -hmm. is, you know, um, he takes my stuff and runs it and nothing, you know, comes back wrong or anything. Um, uh, but he did say that my license plate, uh, came back weird and he used the word weird. And I'm like, that's not a proper term. I don't know what that means. No, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So me being, uh, active duty military police officer at the time, you know, of course I am aware of their procedures. Mm -hmm. um, so he basically asked to search my car. Yeah. And, you know, I asked him why. And he's like, well, you know, it just came back weird. I was like, well, sir, I don't understand what weird is. At this right. time, you know, there's another cop car that comes up. I'm like, what is going on? You know? Um, so long story short, we have a little, dialogue mm -hmm. back and forth i'm aware that i don't have anything in the car it's hot i'm like all right you know i can step out i'll let you do your thing or whatever at this time a third cop car pulls oh up. wow so you know i'm talking to him and i'm answering his questions almost prior to him asking me because mm -hmm. again we train with civilian law enforcement right. all the time so i this is something at the time i had been doing for nine years or so you know um, and he asked me if I'm on drugs. I've never taken a drug in my life. What? Yeah. Never, never, never smoked anything or anything about Um, and I was, I looked at him puzzled, of course. And I'm like, no, sir, I'm not. Why, why do you ask? And he's like, well, you're talking really fast. And I explained to him again, sir, I'm a cop in the military. This is what I do. So I kind of know what you're going to ask me prior right. to asking it, you know? So he continues to search the car. He doesn't find anything. Um, so at this point, I've been outside. I've been compliant for over an hour at this point. Oh, wow. There's three, there's three cop cars. We're in the middle of Texas heat, and this is in, like, August. Oh, yeah, so it's hot. steaming. It's hot. So I'm a little fed up at this time. You know, he comes back over. He's like, well, we didn't find anything. I'm like, I know you didn't. 
because there's nothing for you to find. Right. But you still haven't answered my question as to what is weird with my license plate. And he was like, well, it came back with, I think at the time I had a Georgia plate, but okay. I was previously registered in South Carolina. He was like, well, okay. it came back with having two different license plates. I was like, are you talking about a South Carolina license plate? He was like, yeah. Like, well, you could have just asked me. As I said, I was in the military. I was stationed in South Carolina before. Right. So yeah, I did have a South Carolina plate with this car, but you can look at my title. It's probably from South Carolina because that's where I paid it off at. But right. I, I'm from Georgia. My license is a Georgia right. license. So that was the explanation for that, you know. Uh, so he ended up letting me go, you know, but that's one of the reasons why you do, you know, look over your shoulder and look in your exactly. rear when, when, when that happens, you know. Um, and, you know, I've told this story before. and People ask me, well, why um, did I allow him to search? Um, were you afraid that he could plant something? I guess yes and no. I, I, I knew I didn't have anything to hide. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, I figured if, if I were to do this and be compliant, then everything would work out how it was supposed to. Because mm-hmm. you, know? um, you, you, you already have a few strikes against you as a black man. Right. And I think some people hear that and don't believe it or think that we're um, making it up. Truthful. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, and, and, and it's, not, it's not to say that, that, we, that we use that as a crutch because I don't. Mm-hmm. No, you know? not at all. <laughs> but... Uh, to not acknowledge the fact that that is true, it's, it's just it, that that's not fair either, you know? Right. So um, knowing, knowing that, knowing that he wasn't going to find anything, um, I allowed him to search it and right. it worked out for the best. Yeah. Right. Wow. And, and, and my thing is knowing, having friends who are law enforcement. Right. Um, I, and, and being, you know, prior active duty Air Force, prior law enforcement there, I know that when when something pops up and it gives you two different right. addresses or two different states for registration, yes. you're clearly looking at a Georgia plate or you're clearly looking at a South Carolina plate. So, you know, I didn't I didn't make that. I, I didn't I didn't get a 3D printer and print that. I someone issued it to me. It's an official Right. document that I'm required to have on the back of my vehicle. Mm-hmm. So you, you should have asked me right off the bat, okay. did you ever live in yeah. South Carolina? And I could have said, yes, that was my previous duty station mm-hmm. and it, all of that. But like you said, it, it, and it's funny because I was going to ask you, have you ever um, <laughs> been driving, walking, smiling, chewing gum, uh, or exercising while black, but you absolutely have been <laughs> with that last story that you gave us. And that is, wow, that's just, yeah, man. It, it happens. It, it happens and it happens to us. And too, too often it happens to us. And the, the funny thing is I was having a conversation with a friend of mine and he's a, um, he's a Caucasian male. And he was saying that it's so weird how people act like they, they've never known about, you know, what goes on in different communities. Um, a, the black community being, you know, the number one or whatever, right. how they act like they don't know what's going on. They act like, you know, the, the police officers who usually don't live in these neighborhoods right. police these neighborhoods. Right. And it's like, 
No, I get it. You're a cop. You don't necessarily want to patrol the neighborhood that you live because should you have to pull someone over or should you have to take someone in and you know them, it can cause, you know, issues, things of that nature. But I'm like, if you live an hour away from my residence, I don't think you should be policing my residence. I'm not someone, and this could get me in trouble, but whatever. I'm not for defunding the police. I have a wife and I have children and I know that there are, every police officer on the force is not a bad person. Some of them are there because they truly want to ensure you are safe and you are protected. Awesome. Then we have that, that small percentage who do want to just take advantage and they do have a ulterior motive when they pull someone over who is, does not look like them. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're like, well, today am I going to have target practice? Right. And I, in my mind, that's what I think. That's what I believe they think, you know, I can just kill this guy and I'll be supported by the president for doing so. And you don't comment because I don't want you to get in it. Um, But it's like, I don't, I don't, you know, uh, I know he'll support me and then the governor of Florida will have my back and he'll tell me to come on down there and work because we don't prosecute our own um, and whatever. But it's just like you took an oath not to just protect and defend people who look like you, but you took an oath to protect and defend all people, Native Americans, Asian Americans, uh, African Americans, re- regardless of wherever they live, you took that oath to protect them. And when you know when you go into their neighborhoods, you're protecting them and their neighborhood. So it's like, how can you wake up one morning and you're just like, oh, well, today's the day. And if they ha- have these police officers who have murdered innocent people thought, yeah, I think today's the day that I want to do this or today's the day I want to do that. And I know I'm going to get off because, you know, the main guy supports it. So, you know, I'm just going to do that. But anyway, that was my soapbox. <laughs> um, so your, your Caucasian counterparts, mm-hmm. um, when they come to you and ask, what can I do to help? Right. Um, if they've come to you to ask, what can I do to help? What, what answer do you give them? Um, it's a very similar answer, I guess, that I would have with my subordinates. You know, um, the biggest thing when it comes to our counterparts, we're all in this together, first off, right? Mm-hmm. It can't be looked at as just a black problem. Right. It has to be an all people problem. Is, and not, not, this is very different from the people who say all lives matter. That, that's mm-hmm. not what I'm talking about. I'm saying that it's not a black problem. We didn't get into this with just black people. Right. We're not going to get out of it with just black people. Right. You know? uh, we're stronger together. Yes. So it's that's just not, that's not just a coronavirus right. uh, statement. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know, uh, that, that is, that is a, a life movement, you know, and I, I would venture to say that most, most people in the world are good people. Right. Yes, and most people want to, you know, raise their family to be healthy, wealthy, all that stuff. But that it takes a village, right? Yes. So for my white counterparts, I have friends of all ethnicities and races. Um, so for, for them, it's to get educated, you know, and I can, and we, we can all help with that. 
you know, mm-hmm. and it goes back to seeing things from other people's perspectives. Um, but it's also speaking up, you know, yes. uh, I think uh, most of the change that happens happens in those little small groups, right? Those mm-hmm. small groups where everyone's comfortable with each other. Yeah. Jokes may start to fly. I'm guilty of it. I'm sure you're guilty of it. You know what I mean? Of maybe inappropriate types of humor and jokes. And stuff. Yeah. It, 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 yeah. Starts, it starts there. Like the water cooler talks, the barbershop mm-hmm. talks. Right. You know? And using those, those talks, those platforms to educate, you know? Um, you, you, you can't negate the piece of education. Mm-hmm. Uh, not saying that, that, oh, okay, they just didn't know. Like that's, that's not an excuse. But at the same time, if you don't take the opportunity to educate your counterparts or to educate people who look like you on what is proper and what is not, right. then you can't really move forward in general. You know what I mean? So I, I, think, I think that's where it has to start. Like, you can't be afraid to speak up. It, it mm-hmm. won't just work if we're the only ones speaking up. And I think seeing the movements that have happened, um, it's not just black people who are protesting or speaking up. Right. And that, that part is huge, right? So yes. for, for me, my, my advice to them is to speak up because we need your voice. Mm-hmm. And then we also need your action to go along with our action. And maybe if you don't agree with all of the policies that we're putting forth, show us your perspective. Right. right? And then let's come together. Right. right. So education, speaking up, and then still being there with us through all of the action that right. we're trying to actually change. Exactly. Even when it's quote unquote, not the headline right. anymore. Cause that's what I don't want people to um, do is forget just because all of a sudden it's not the headline on the news. It's not the first story on Good Morning America or whatever news channel you watch or whatever newspaper you read. It's, you know, it's in there still. It's in the fabric, but it's not the, at the forefront anymore. Right. Um, so I don't want people to forget that. So you are someone who is embarking upon, um, you know, the speaking and you know the you've already been doing mentoring and things of that nature so before we close uh if you would just provide to the listeners um some encouragement some motivation something that they can use to keep going and it doesn't have to necessarily be tied to this subject it could be tied to any subject but just you know as a speaker um something that they can take and you know take with them as they move beyond the coffee table. Right. I like it, man. Um, so first, like moving beyond the coffee table has been amazing for me to follow your journey, man. And I, I think that that's, that's what it comes down to, like your journey. A lot of times we get so caught up with that end goal, right, that we miss things along our journey, right? And to me, you have to almost enjoy the journey, that walk, Mm-hmm. getting to your end goal almost more than your end goal. All right. Because along that journey, along that path, man, is that, that's where you get all the nuggets. That's where you meet the people. That's where you network and connect. You're getting mm-hmm. all the tools that you need for that end goal. Right. And without allowing yourself to detour a little bit here and there, still mm-hmm. focused on the end goal, but allowing yourself to detour, you're missing out on those blessings that God has purposely and deliberately put in your path to help you get to that end goal. Mm, right 
So your, your journey, that path has to be just as or almost more important than your end goal, right? And then along that path, don't forget to reach back, right? Uh, as you continue to grow and network, uh, your, your knowledge starts to grow. Um, there's a saying where you should build a longer table, not a taller fence, right? We all can eat together, right? You're a speaker, you're an author. I reached out to you because I'm trying to embark on that. You didn't build that fence for me. You gave me advice. You're, you're helping me uh, get to where I want to be, you know, where some people could have seen that as a threat. You know what I mean? So share that knowledge, share that understanding, enjoy the, the journey to get to your end goal. Don't bypass all those blessings, the detours that are going to be there. Okay. So keep your eye on the prize, but keep going and don't be afraid to detour here and there. Absolutely. Cause I mean, it is sometime in the detours that we find that extra character yeah. uh, that we didn't even know existed within us. So. Absolutely. Uh, well, bro, I appreciate you taking time again away from, you know, your children and, um, you know, to sit down and have this discussion with me. Um, you are, again, appreciated. I say that a lot. And I remember, I think one time I was having a conversation with somebody and I must have told them at least six times within <laughs> 30 minutes, I appreciate them. But that's because I do. Um, yeah. it, it, I truly do appreciate it because I don't take for granted the time that you've sacrificed from your children and doing whatever other work you could have been doing instead of sitting down and having this conversation with me. So uh, do you have uh, any socials that people can follow you on right now um, or anywhere that they can listen to your motivation uh, or anything like that? So I'll give out my Facebook, man. Just Henry Edwards III is my Facebook. My IG handle is going to be Henry III, and that's going to be H, the number three in R-Y, underscore the number three R-D, Henry III. Um, as far as my motivational speaking still in the works with with that but um it's going to be coming out really really soon i don't want to give out the name or anything yet because it's not like official official yet but it's definitely coming down the pipe soon man and once i do get that i'll definitely pass that information on to you man. awesome and i would pass it on to everybody else uh, he's definitely someone you want to get to know somebody that you want to listen to ladies and gentlemen beyond the coffee table henry Edwards the third thank you brother i appreciate you Yes, sir. Appreciate you, man. All right, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye, man. All right. A message for you haters. Understand your fit. Adversity reveals genius. Prosperity conceals it. Please believe it. So I'ma spit lyrics up. Keep it believing. And I'ma always be me. I keep it a hundred. I mean it. Adversity reveals genius. Prosperity conceals it. Please believe it. So I'ma spit lyrics up. Keep it believing. And I'ma always be me. I keep it a hundred. I mean if you've enjoyed this episode of Beyond the Coffee Table, the podcast, I ask that you just do me a quick favor. I ask that you would subscribe to the podcast. I ask that you would tell a friend about the podcast. And I ask that you would leave a comment about this episode, letting me know what you like. And if there was something that you didn't like, hey, let me know that also. And if you want to join the conversation, just go ahead and shoot me a quick email at beyondthecoffeetable at outlook.com. I love you and I appreciate you in real life. Peace.